and welcome to Cookie Pocket, an attempt at a podcast. This is our fourth episode, and today we'll be discussing Rogue One, a Star Wars story, directed by Gareth Edwards, the first uh, anthology or solo Star Wars film that exists outside of the broader saga. And um, today I'm going to start off the same way we always do, uh, with general impressions and uh, ratings from uh, my co-host and myself. And I'll invite you two to start and give us your rating out of five and uh, general thoughts about the film. Okay. Uh, Mitchell, do you want to go first? Or? Nope. Okay. <laughs> I should expect that at this point. Yep. Um, so I've seen this film twice. I saw it when it first came out, and then I saw it during our rewatch. Uh, and what I will say for this film uh, is that I think Gareth Edwards, I haven't seen his first film, Monsters, but I have seen uh, his Godzilla film, and I've seen this film, Rogue One, um, and that's two out of three of his filmography, and that ain't bad, according to Meatloaf. So uh, what I will say for this film and for Gareth Edwards is that he's a very good director at incorporating special effects into a film. Uh, the special effects in Godzilla and this, uh, there's lots of digital effects, lots of practical effects, lots of puppets and makeup. And they all blend in very well. They all feel like a natural part of the world. They don't feel gimmicky. And I feel like that's an important skill for a big-budget sci-fi director. So I'll definitely give that movie that. Or this movie that. Uh, th this feels like a very natural world, despite all the crazy environments and crazy creatures we encounter. Uh, and the action scenes are also great. Uh, technically, I think this is a very, very well-made movie. But my issues with the film are that uh, I don't care about any of the characters. I feel like, as I said in my Twitter review, I feel like the leads are as dull as ditch water. Uh, I feel like these leads are incredibly boring, uh, and therefore, as we said with the Changeling, I, if I can't really relate to the leads, and I can't feel for the leads, and I don't fear for the leads, I'm not invested. Uh, so this is a very good-looking movie, really good technically, um, but I just wasn't invested, and I found myself ra rather bored for most of this viewing. So I gave it a 2 out of 5 myself. Okay, Mitchell, would you like to share your thoughts? Yes. Um, I'm going to start off by saying I gave it a 4 out of 5. And pri the primary reason why is I wasn't really expecting too much out of this when I first heard of it. I was kind of confused as to why they were even trying to do a spinoff or a standalone, I should say. Um, and I wasn't too familiar as to what the actual plan was for this, how it was supposed to fit canonically um, in the universe. But after watching A Dirty Dozen and seeing movies very similar to that, Magnificent Seven, I think, mm -hmm. um, this is very uh, similar to that in its structure and just how it it's that kind of that type of movie well i wouldn't say that it's necessarily super original and its plot development the characters that it makes in the universe do not seem tacked on whatsoever i feel as though they give just enough um screen time to every character to justify their existence in the film and just just that alone already gives it a three out of five for me um, without being heavily, with trying to put aside my he heavily invested interest in the Star Wars universe. Um, but yeah, cinematically, it's probably one of, if not the most beautiful films, as I said in my Twitter review. Um, and it definitely has that action um, in it, even despite not having any lightsaber 
battles whatsoever. Um, oh yeah, I didn't think of that. But uh, but yeah, the battle on Scarif was definitely very memorable. One of the best battles in in the Star Wars universe portrayed on screen in terms of movies. So I won't mention Clone Wars, Christian. <laughs> but um, but yeah, that's the reason why I gave it a four out of five. And the only reason why it wasn't perfect would just be that not every character was totally important as I wouldn't say like there there's like K2SO is really funny. Okay. But obviously he was pinned on in there just to, as you know, every time he said anything, it was supposed to be funny. And I feel like that's a little too cookie cutter, um, especially for star Wars writing. Um, but having his important importance to the plot towards the end doesn't really, I don't feel like it really justifies his character. But that's mm-hmm. one example. Um, but for the most part, I feel as though every character is definitely has a, a good enough arc um, to justify how they, you know, whatever happens to them at the end. <laughs> so, mm-hmm. yeah. Well said, both of you. Um, I have seen this film many, many times. Um, <laughs> I'm not sure how many, but um, within the last month, just because of Star Wars Day marathoning and, and, uh, other reasons i'm pretty sure i've seen it at least two or three times and within the past year maybe half a dozen times but um this has been one of my favorite films and one of my favorite star wars films for a while um my i gave it a twitter review before we rewatched it together as a group for the purpose of talking about it in this podcast and in my initial review i gave it a five out of five and um, I stand by most of what I said there, but I amended my rating to a four and a half out of five, simply because I think that five out of five rating should probably be reserved for a really uh, essentially perfect film, one that um, defies criticism in most or all manners and is, is really like something that you can't pick apart critically, which I will admit uh, this film is not a perfect film. Mm-hmm. So as much as I love it. Um I, I agree with both of your points about the main characters. I think Jin and Cassian are measurably more boring than Anakin, Luke, or Rey by far, not to mention characters like Han Solo and Finn and Obi-Wan. But um, I, I think for me, uh, it didn't bother me so much because um, the film didn't necessarily feel as character-driven as the other Star Wars movies are. Um, and like what Zach said about how the, uh, the effects and the puppetry and the way Gareth Edwards made those all work together makes it feel really lived in and, and genuine. I, I thought that characters with a, with a grounding similar to uh, Jin and Cassian contributed a little bit more to that. And the, the downside to that is they're less interesting. They're not these force powerful chosen ones. And that's a fair criticism. Yeah. Um, and I think what made up for that for me were the supporting characters I thought were, were really strong. Um, Saw Guerrera, Forrest Whitaker, I thought turned in a great performance. And um, I really liked Chirrut, uh, Donnie Yen's character. And uh, I think uh, there's definitely a temptation there to overuse Vader. And um, they could have made him the main villain if they really wanted to, just to appease mm-hmm. the fans. But I think that his screen time was measured well and they didn't overuse him personally. So uh, for all those reasons, I gave it a four and a half out of five. Um, While we were watching, 
um, Mitchell, uh, there was some really epic music playing in the background and Mitchell made a comment about uh, John Williams' score. And um, I think it was one of the songs where uh, one of Williams' old themes is reworked into it and used in the song. But um, this film is the first Star Wars film that was not composed by John Williams. It was composed by Michael Giacchino. And I think this was an effort on, on part of Lucasfilm to differentiate other Star Wars projects outside of the Skywalker saga because they knew they weren't going to have the John Williams sound forever for no. the entire franchise. And uh, of course, he's getting old and they're going to milk this franchise until there's nothing left. <laughs> so, yeah. Um, yeah, I thought Michael Giacchino uh, brought a lot to the table, but I-, I wanted to ask you guys what you thought about the score. Did you notice that it was particularly different from Williams? Did you like any differences? Uh, what were your thoughts on that in general? Uh, well, I enjoyed the score. I think the score is another technical strength of this film. I I really like, like you mentioned, how it takes some motifs from, uh, from, from Williams' original work, but then twists mm-hmm. them into something new to establish that this is something different. This is uh, tonally and plot-wise kind of outside of the Star Wars films we've seen before, and I kind of like how it's differentiated using the music. Uh, in particular, there's one, uh, there's one piece of music that's used a couple times in the film where you start to hear the beginning of, I don't know the actual name of the piece, but it's sort of the, the, the Emperor or Darth Vader march from Empire Strikes the Back Imperial March. Return of the Jedi. Yeah. The Imperial March. You start to hear the beginning of that, and then it twists into something different and more distinct, and I liked that a lot. I liked how there were those little reminders that this is still a Star Wars movie, but it's a it's a different Star Wars movie. Uh, so I, I enjoyed the score quite a bit. Mitchell, what did you think? Was it a downgrade for you, or? Um, I think it matched the movie pretty well. I don't think it was necessarily bad. Um, I don't know. I feel like there's a kind of like a space epic type of feel with. John Williams's score, you kind of, especially, well, I would say that for Star Wars, but I mean, in Indiana Jones, for example, you definitely feel the action-y tension, um, kind of silliness almost in the background, mm-hmm. um, and, but it still feels like an Indiana Jones movie, and it doesn't take away from the fact that it takes place in that universe, and I think that aspect of John Williams's um, talent is definitely something to be uh, noted, but I think in this, it, w- it wasn't necessarily really striking. I, I don't personally remember anything that was super memorable, um, unless I played it over again, uh, outside of the movie, um, which is actually a good thing I would say, uh, for this movie. I don't feel as though it needed to be overly dramatic with a lot mm-hmm. with its score. Um, but yeah, I mean, I liked it. It wasn't too big of a, too big of a distraction or too big of a, uh, nothing to write home about, I would say. Yeah, I'd agree. I think uh, just purely on a musical level, if you if you divorce the soundtrack from the movie that it's meant to accompany, John Williams is just a, a, a brilliant composer. Uh, I think most or most of the themes that he composes for the original films could really just stand as pieces of music on their own. Um, mm-hmm. But I, I think Mitchell's point about it, about Giacchino scored not necessarily needing to have that uh, same memorable gravity is a good point and i think it establishes a, a good precedent for anything else they want to do because um i i don't think they're going to find a composer as consistently great as williams but uh moving on we've we've had some talk about uh 
the characters and them not being as intriguing. Uh, I want to challenge both of you to uh, choose a favorite character, or if you didn't like any of the characters, a character who you enjoyed in some mild capacity. <laughs> so, um, yeah, I'll, I guess I'll go first on this one. Um, <laughs> I, I went back and forth on this, but I'll go with uh, Director Krennic, Ben Mendelsohn's character. I thought okay. that he was a really great villain and uh, one that was completely different from anything that we've seen archetypally in the Skywalker saga. And um, there's there's something about that, like a belittled old man who, who does all this work and then loses all of the credit for it and has nothing to do to, to claim it back. And I, I think it was just a really smart portrayal of of the empire and how casualties of the empire can be on the inside in some respect. So I thought he turned in a strong performance. Uh, you two can share. I'll actually, I'll invite Zach to go first. <laughs> okay. Um, I do not remember this character's name, I'll help but you out. Um, I, I am, I would say if I had to pick a favorite character, I would say um, the man with, with Donnie Yen's character who has the big, uh, Gatling yeah. gun. That's uh, Baze Malbus. Baze Malbus. With a B. Baze Malbus. Baze Malbus. Okay. Um, I, I would say he's probably my. If I had to say a favorite character, he would be mine. Just I, I do really like that uh, dynamic that exists between him and Donnie Yen's character because mm. they're two characters that we haven't really seen those type of characters in a Star Wars film before. Uh, to me, they're one of the few things in this movie that is actually different and stands out as a a new thing that this movie does. Because one mm -hmm. of my big complaints with this film is that a lot of this film is in terms of iconography and uh, plot and sort of what we're shown on the screen. It's a lot of just things you know. Uh, but I think those two characters stand out as different and intriguing. And I like their back and forth a lot. And they feel very different from characters we've seen before. Uh, I just feel it's a shame that they don't do more in the movie. Uh, if they had done more and been fleshed out on a little bit more and we'd seen more of them, I think I'd probably like them a little bit more than, than I do. But I'd say if I had to pick a favorite, it would be those two. Okay, sure. Mitchell? Um, I would say Jyn Erso, but evidently, really? thinking about... I, I would, Zach. I would oh, okay. say him, <laughs> But... Um, Thinking about her dialogue and the important things she was supposed to say and did say, she kind of, she didn't really overperform, Felicity Jones didn't really overperform or underperform, I think she did pretty much exactly what she was supposed to do, and she wasn't exactly riveting, or, um, well, she was in some parts, but overall, I don't feel as though she wasn't anything uh, super special, but mm -hmm. that also plays into the point of her character, as we see towards the end. Um, right. But I would say Chirrut Emway is probably my favorite just because of how, like, I would definitely agree with everything that he said, um, but I would also say for Chirrut Emway, he's a, he, he adds, he de he's definitely like the spiciest uh, addition <laughs> to, to um, this movie and also to the Star Wars universe because, first of all, amazing actor. What's his name again? Donnie Yen. Uh, Donnie, Donnie Yen, Yen. Yeah. right. What else has he played in? Because I'm pretty sure I've seen him before. Well, he's done a lot of uh, Chinese film. Uh, a lot Ip of martial Man arts movies. It's probably mm -hmm. the, the best known one. Uh, 
our, our, our good friend Matthew is a huge fan of his other films. Right. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Um, but his the choreography for him is definitely ext- underrated, completely underrated. Um, his introduction and everything that he says is very inspiring. But he's not inspiring in like a space wizard Yoda type inspiring or uh, mm-hmm. Jedi type mm-hmm. inspiring necessarily. He's more like a neutral philosopher, I would kind of say. Like if I had to put mm-hmm. a pin on it, I would say he's he's more of like an a he's like a agnostic philosopher i would say and mm-hmm. not not to like go super in depth into his character or say that he's like he's a lot more than what's shown on screen because he isn't but just to see him talk and make certain mannerisms and be just very you can just see how different he is compared to everyone else and he has a certain connection with the force that is um definitely something to notice um and his death is very sad spoiler but <laughs> <laughs> His death in particular is very, um, I guess, disheartening. But yeah, um, but yeah that, that's why I would say he's my favorite. And he's not necessarily super important to the cause, but just his own... He, he kind of makes his own archetype, I would say. Mm-hmm. Um, and he, he kind of combines different cliches into his own character, and Donnie Yen definitely um, takes that and runs with it, so... Yeah. yeah, I think that scene where he takes down the stormtroopers, I mean, even though he's blind, he takes down the stormtroopers with a staff. I think that's one of the best scenes in the movie, and I really like that scene. It's a really right. cool action scene, but he does that once, and that's kind of my issue, is that he does this really cool thing, and it shows us a window of, oh, that's something new, but it happens once, and then his big climactic moment is him walking across an empty pathway while he's shot at. Like, I, I, I get that it's that it's cool if you're a Star Wars fan, and it's all about, oh, the Force is flowing through him, and I am one with the Force, and the Force is with me. I get how those things are cool to Star Wars fans, but to someone like me, who's maybe not crazy about Star Wars, it feels like we had that one cool scene, and then the climax, like, the last thing he does is walk across a courtyard and flip a switch, and that's his big character moment outside of that battle scene. So, yeah, I, 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 would, have, I, I would like more of that cool stuff that mm-hmm. we've mentioned, yeah. I see where you're coming from with that, and I, I definitely think Baze and Shiru, uh, each of their last stands and their their eventual death, those two have by far the most emotional impact on me of, of anyone in, in the entire Rogue, Rogue One crew, so to speak. Mm-hmm. Um, to answer Zach's point about the, the fight scene, I, I agree it would have been nice to see him do more, um, and we, we do get those little bits where he like feels the air with his hand and then aims the blaster perfectly or whatever, which is cool, but it doesn't really measure up to the choreography. Um, yeah, I guess I would say for the final scene. Yeah. As a star Wars fan, I I thought that was great. And I found that a lot more emotionally affecting than another, uh, powerful fight scene with a staff. Right. But, um, I, I see where you're coming from. Um, and now might be a good time to pivot to, uh, what I, would like to call the fan service discussion which i think is an important discussion to have um mm-hmm. yeah. while we were watching the film we we came at odds a bit because um we had differing opinions about vader's involvement in the film mm-hmm. and um the uh a, a couple cameos let's say and yes. i don't know if if tarkin was also a part of this uh this, to uh, me he kind of is yeah but uh yeah I'll, I'll give you the floor zach and you, you can share your issues on that with us Okay, um, 
So, so one thing I just want to start out by saying is that I don't necessarily have an issue with the inclusion of Darth Vader or Grand Moff Tarkin in a story like this. Better uh, as as you have pointed out, <laughs> Christian, um, Tarkin and Vader are, are, I suppose, both very important figures in the Empire within Star Wars canon, and therefore it would make sense that they be involved in the preliminary stages of the Death Star's development. I'm not taking issue with that at all when I say that their inclusion is fan service. But uh, one of the first things you learn when you study screenwriting is that if you can take a character or a scene or if you can take something out of your script and it will not have any impact overall on, on the story as a whole, then that thing should be removed because that thing is fat and does not need to be there. And I feel like um, a lot of the fan service in this movie, uh, You'll Be Dead Guy and Pandu Babu or whatever their names Panda are. Baba. Panda Baba. Panda uh, Baba. Those two characters showing up, I feel like that's absolute fat. Pull it out. And I, I would say that Vader and Tarkin, their scenes are cool. And while you're in those scenes, it's it's fun to go, oh, yes, those characters are back. I'm. It's cool to see them on screen but they don't need to be there. I feel like you could take those characters out and it, it wouldn't have a negative impact on the film as a whole. In fact, I think it would almost have a positive impact on the film as a whole because it would uh, lend more weight to Krennic as a villain. Uh, that's kind of one of my additional complaints. I'm going off topic a little bit here, but one of my additional complaints to this movie is I think there are too many villains. Uh, I feel like they should have pared it down to just Krennic or if they wanted Darth Vader or Tarkin, they should have chosen one and given all those scenes to one of those characters, which would have made that second villain feel more important and more vital to the movie. Uh, because I feel as it is, this movie's villains are kind of a trio of, of of a confused villainous mess, and there's no real clarification on who we're meant to be threatened by mainly. Uh, but, but my real issue here is that, yeah, uh, Vader, Tarkin, a lot of the fan service in this movie... You can take it out, and it doesn't really have any major impact on the script, and therefore it doesn't need to be there, and I, therefore I think it shouldn't be there in this specific script. That's my main issue. All right. Before I respond, I want to invite <laughs> Mitchell to share his thoughts. On why Darth Vader is one of the best villains of all time? Sure. That's <laughs> not trying. what I'm... Okay. Gonna, I just want to clarify, take... that's not what I'm arguing. That's going <laughs> to take way too long. Yeah. <laughs> I'm just kidding. Um, <laughs> all right, so... I wouldn't necessarily say they were including um, Darth Vader and Tarkin specifically for just fan service. Um, I wouldn't say that. Um, and the reason why is Darth Vader is known to be the... He is the leader of the Empire, at least at this point. We can just say that at the mm -hmm. very least. He's the leader of the Empire. And we know the magnitude of which... Uh, we, I should say we know the implications of the Death Star plans and why they're so important and this is like the big project like this is like this magnificent dictator's big thing this is the thing that he wants to accomplish mm -hmm. and um, you know it, it's kind of like uh, I should say like aqueducts if you, if you guys remember from history class but um <laughs> infrastructure oh, where is this going yeah no i'm not making any rash comparisons but 
Okay. Um, well, that that's the ju- that's literally for me. That's the only justification needed to have Darth Vader in this movie. Um, not only just to connect it to the Skywalker saga, but also to um, f- further emphasize the implications of having the Death Star plans involved in this whole thing. And mm-hmm. first watching it, I wasn't totally aware of the implications until like the last twenty minutes, and. Some viewers could probably pick up on certain things earlier on. Like, I could understand. I mean, first viewing, you really miss a lot in any movie. Um, But just reading the dialogue and not, like, it wasn't just like, oh, they're building this Death Star and we have to, like, get the plans. Like, they were talking in the moment, not like, so they, they could pretty much look at the camera and be like, you guys, you're the audience and you guys should know that this is the Death Star that they're talking about and in a new hope and stuff like that and it doesn't need to be thrown in the viewer's face they're talking very in in terms of like chronologically they're talking very in the moment about everything and Mm -hmm. they're they're not them not being aware of how important it is makes the audience not realize how important it is until the very end and that's Mm -hmm. a very important effect and having just having darth vader in there including grand moff tarkin um and Leia, obviously, at the very end. I will say that Leia at the very end is purely fan service. I will say that. Yeah. That was not that one scene was definitely not needed. But um, Grand Moff Tarkin is the perfect character to take on this, uh, taking on the authority of the mission. And he's, mm-hmm. I, I do agree. I don't agree necessarily that he could be replaced by anyone else, just because everyone who's seen A New Hope, obviously, you can't really watch this if you haven't seen A New Hope, but. <laughs> Knowing, immediately seeing Grand Moff Tarkin and knowing what to expect is not only a fan-serving thing, it also just further develops his character and it definitely adds to the authenticity of A New Hope and the plot in A New Hope. Mm -hmm. Um, So I think it definitely goes beyond just throwing him in there, testing CGI, making it look like a really good cinematic from a video game. Um, (laughs) but But that is definitely... That I don't think it's a purely just fan service or something only a Star Wars fan would enjoy or understand. Yeah, I, I definitely agree more with Mitchell than Zach on this, um, which I'm sure is no surprise. I knew. But um, I, I would agree on the Leia note. Like I, I, for me, that CGI on her face was worse than than Tarkin's ever was in terms of how convincing it was, and uh, it really wasn't necessary. Um, and I'd say yeah, you can pull that out. But um, with regard to just fan service as a concept in general, I think, in my opinion, I think that throwing around fan service as a critique is kind of a lazy and unspecific critique because it it sort of asserts that fans in general all want the same thing or some semblance of the same thing. And um, I think we can all attest to whatever fan bases we consider ourselves a part of, be that Doctor Who or Star Wars or whatever, um, that that community on, on social media or elsewhere is is pretty constantly at odds with each other. And um, at least and as far as Star Wars fans go, I know for sure um, there's widely varying opinions about pretty much any film or character. Like uh, one half of the community despises The Last Jedi and a lot of the other half thinks The Last Jedi is the best Star Wars movie ever. There's a lot Mm -hmm. of disconnect in general. So I would just say the idea that you're serving an entire fan base with anything is rarely, if ever, true. Um, Now, that being said, uh, 
um, if it were ever to be true, um, it would be using Darth Vader prominently or uh, bringing back legacy characters from A New Hope. So there's a point there. Um, for me, uh, Zach, you said you would be more interested if it was just Krennic, but Krennic's uh, competition with Tarkin makes his entire character for me. I would not okay. care. I would not care at all about Krennic if he didn't face uh, those challenges within the the hierarchy of rank in the Empire. And to me, I I get so much more invested in him and more interested in him when he gets bitter and defeated after he succeeds. And then Tarkin is like, okay, I'm going to claim success for this, and it's going to become my project now. And there's nothing you can do about it. To me, that makes him. That makes me much more emotionally invested in Krennic, because if you take that out. There's no personal investment for him with regard mm-hmm. to to Galen Erso and the development of the Death Star and, and stopping Jin and, and all that. So, um, and real quick on the Doctor Evazan and Ponda Baba thing, I, I would just he's, say he's a doctor. Oh, n- th- not exactly. He's okay. he's a mad okay. doctor that that is perf- performs illegal surgeries. It's it's a whole lore thing. Right. Okay. That, that all right. Okay. <laughs> anyway, it's a whole lore um, thing. Yes. Uh, all I'll say is I don't I don't know that there were a lot of Star Wars fans clamoring for more Doctor Evazan and Ponda Baba content. So, well, maybe maybe I should clarify. When I say fan service, I'm not in any way saying that that those things are automatically servicing all fans. I'm just using that as a general term for constant references and callbacks, which I I will acknowledge. I mean, as somebody who's a member of the Doctor Who fan community. There was a period a couple years ago where it was nothing but what would be labeled fan service, just tons of references. And for me, the big issue with that, even though I am a fan of that uh, of that franchise, and many people are fans of Star Wars, the big issue is that if you do, if you've got constant references and callbacks, one, it makes the whole thing start to feel very clicky. Um, and starts to feel like you're playing, whether it works or not, it starts to feel like you're playing towards a very specific demographic and not really towards people who might not be part of that demographic. And additionally, it's it's kind of creating a crutch out of things that have already been used or old things. Uh, when I see CGI Grand Moff Tarkin or I see the, 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 the cantina drinking buddies because I can't remember their names, when I see those things, I, I just think... Why, why can't we make new things? That, that, that's kind of what those things constantly remind me. It feels like we're making a crutch out of the older iconography of this series and not really moving towards things that are new and interesting. We're just relying on the past. That's kind of what, what irritates me about what would be labeled fan service. And that's kind of what I'm referring to when I use that term. Okay. That's fair. As, as a rhetorical question encounter to that, I would say, to what end... To what end are they including the fan service? Because if they're including it just solely to throw it in for fans, mm-hmm. and that's it, and they're and, and as if or as if like Jared Mway, for example, is ju- they have that one scene with him, or is there an implication that we should see more of that and see less of fan service? Because the movie kind of, I would say, I would use Christian's terminology, <laughs> defies criticism. Um, <laughs> because the movie the movie exists as we find out towards the very end exists for very one sole purpose Mm -hmm. and that one sole purpose is enough to drive the plot forward 
and having these characters have just enough character development to have the plot sit on their backs until the very end when they collapse is pretty much the essence of this of of this film like that that's that's pretty much it and what 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 bad would come out of including fan service is pretty much where i'm getting at yeah i i think i i kind of agree i um i think i think fan service has to be measured and and zach i appreciate you defining the term and i understand where your, your criticism is coming from as do i more now <laughs> but um I I guess I just don't like the term fan service still because I feel like uh-huh. it denotes this this uh, all fans are the same and all fans want these things. So, but I, I thank you for defining it because that helps me understand more. Um, I think as a fan, obviously it didn't bother me to see Vader or Tarkin, but on another level, it would to me it would make no sense at all whatsoever if neither of them were in this film because as we see at the end this movie ends mere moments, perhaps seconds before a new hope begins. And, um, we see Vader hot, hot on the trail of that rebel ship mm-hmm. and, um, who immediately contacts Tarkin afterwards. And they're working on they're at the death star and working on the death star at the start of a new hope. And that's what they've been doing. So contextually to me, it, it would do, it would be a disservice to the canon and, and to the characters and the interconnectedness if they were not to be doing that. And so for, for one thing, uh, it makes sense, but on another point to me, it would not make sense if they were not there. Does that make sense to you? That I'm, what I'm saying now? It does. I, I think a big part of my criticism comes potentially comes from the fact that I'm not really a star Wars fan, but a big part of my criticism, uh, is I'm divorcing the script from a story about how the Rebels got the plans to the Death Star. Uh, I I think what we all seem to agree on is that it definitely would make sense for Vader and Tarkin to be in a story about the Rebels getting the plans to the Death Star. Mm -hmm. Where my issues come in are with this specific script to that kind of a story. Because if, if, if we're just looking at the screenplay to this movie, we're just looking at the scenes and the dialogue and the action blocks, we're only looking at the document. The scenes that have Vader and Tarkin in them in this film, I feel, don't need to be in this script. If you took those scenes out, the script would still function. And to me, that indicates that those scenes are fat, and that perhaps the writer, or writers, I'm not quite sure how many people worked on the script of this movie, that indicates to me that maybe they should have gone back and done some more work on wiring those characters into this script so they're more important to proceedings because i feel like those characters are in the movie and the scenes they're in are cool and feel cool but they don't feel like they're a massive part of the plot as a whole they feel like cool things that exist on the sides of the storyline overall uh if that makes any sense at all that makes sense yeah uh, I'm going to move on now for fear of, uh, yeah. g- uh, falling down this rabbit hole, but I think we <laughs> both shared our respective uh, viewpoints. Yeah. Well, um, speaking of, uh, massive parts of the plot as a whole, um, I wanted to discuss plot holes and how, uh, this oh. film, at least in my opinion, solved, uh, one of the greatest criticisms I think you can attribute to a new hope, which is how the heck is the death star this easy to blow up? 
It makes no sense. Yeah. And um, I, I think that this, personally, I think this movie does a great job of solving that. And um, I, I was usually retconning or, or doing a lot of work to solve a plot hole does not result well, in my opinion. And I mm-hmm. think this movie is a, is a rare um, uh, exception. But um, I'd like to hear either of your thoughts on, on plot holes in A New Hope and how this movie may or may not have helped that. Well, I think the big thing for me is that um, kind of the, the, two, the two things this movie seeks to answer, I suppose, are how do the rebels get the plans to the Death Star and why is that fault in the plans to the Death Star? Because those things are just kind of presented as fact in A New Hope. And I think a, a, a big reason where I may, why maybe this movie doesn't resonate as much with me is um, I, I don't really care about either of those things, being perfectly honest. I... To me, those are just written postulates in the script to A New Hope. Those are things that exist in A New Hope because it's it's a fun fantasy story and they need to be there for the script to happen. And and I'm fine with that. Uh, I have never, before this film came out, I never had this burning desire to know why is there such a fatal flaw in the Death Star? Why wouldn't they have checked that? I, I understand that maybe a lot of people did have an issue with that before this movie came out, but I was not one of them. Uh, so to me, this is a film that is almost entirely written to service two big questions that I had no interest in finding an answer to. Um, so it, sure, it, it's kind of fun that they answered those questions, but to me, they didn't really need to be answered in the first place. Fair enough. I think a part of its charm is the fact that it answers questions nobody was really asking. I think that's a part of mm. these. I think that's definitely an important surprise element of the standalone movie. In fact, it's even named a Star Wars story, Rogue mm-hmm. One, a Star Wars story. Like, mm-hmm. the, the, talk about not giving a crap if you're if you're not a Star <laughs> Wars fan. But I mean, yeah. you know. And, but then when you really get into it, and you know, I I, I don't want to repeat myself over and over again, but. I will say that if even even though most, if not a very large majority of audiences were not expecting an answer to a question that is very copy pasted and similarly raised in space operas that attempted to copy Star Wars or happened to exist before Star Wars, mm-hmm. um, just for this, like exactly what Zach was saying, just for the sake of. Uh, the plot and you know having facts established beforehand just to have a story um, develop but um, that that is solely my opinion I can definitely understand that even if you weren't asking that question you could you could per- fully I could fully understand that there is no there's no real reason for this movie to exist however even if you didn't have qualms with a new hope in terms at least in these terms or in the case of these plot holes um i think just having it explained or just adds more layers to the um star wars universe because onions have layers they do (laughs) i was waiting for that (laughs) yeah well said i agree um but uh with both of you actually um yeah Uh, and and yeah i don't really have much more to add i just agree (laughs) um i i have one more question uh this is a quick one um in our uh, pilot episode we we ranked the star wars films where approximately would you rank rogue one with the nine skywalker saga films Ooh, i have to check Hmm. Uh, 
I can go first to, to give okay, you guys a yeah. second. Um, uh, my critical rankings differ from my personal preference, but critically, um, Rogue One is my third ranked. I go uh, Empire, A New Hope, and Rogue One. And I used okay. to have Rogue One a 5 out of 5. Um, yeah, I, I really love the film, and I think it does a lot to further the universe and stands well on its own as well. So, All right. Uh, I would say, for me, this is probably... It's, it's probably lower down the list for me. Um, probably on par with maybe Revenge of the Sith, which is, I think, my fourth least favorite of the of the Skywalker saga. Uh, I think this is a much better directed film than Revenge of the Sith. Oh, for sure. <laughs> uh, I really do like the technical aspects of this movie and the world, the way the world is directed, because uh, I sort of recognized while watching this film, like the creatures and fantastic effects, they don't feel out of place at all, which I, I really do mm. want to kind of applaud this film on that. It, uh, would, because that's that's difficult to do when you have such a weird fantasy world as Star Wars, mm-hmm. but I, I, I just I, I think that both Revenge of the Sith and this movie suffer from the fact that they're both quite boring to me, and uh, that kind of puts them both on a two out of five uh, plane for me at least. Um, uh, as far as I remember, I don't have my original list, but I can definitely. <laughs> I can definitely remember what it was. I had the original trilogy first. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I know that for sure. Um, and then Revenge of the Sith right after. And then I think fifth, I would say, is Rogue One. I definitely like Rogue One better in terms of the sequel trilogy for reasons I listed in the first episode. Um, but I am a very big war movie fan. And this definitely uh, puts off a lot of war film vibes, and <laughs> yeah. um, and like I said, I just watched Dirty, the, the Dirty Dozen, and and the way the Rogue One ends and Dirty Dozen ends is actually somewhat similar in terms of mm-hmm. the squadron going for a cause that is greater than them, but is extremely important, yeah. um, evidently. So um, I would say I would say it's fifth, and. Uh, yeah, I don't really have anything else to say um, besides that it stands. It stands very well alone, but I feel as though it stands better as a prequel to A New Hope than it does as a movie that can be judged on its own, and mm-hmm. that might hurt <laughs> Zach's um, preferences in terms of yeah. how he critiques. Um, but that is my personal, in my heart, opinion, not in my big brain. <laughs> okay. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Uh- Great talk, everyone. Uh, that was that was very productive, and I think we shared some some great points. And now it's time for the rundown. Rogue One edition. So, uh, for those of you that don't already know the, the format of this, I set a sixty second timer, and Mitchell and I spew random things from the movie we discussed at Zach, and Zach mm-hmm. has to give us. Uh, against his nature, an arbitrary out of five rating for uh, these, whatever these miscellaneous topics may be. I never so. do that. <laughs> All right. Um, Mitchell, do you want to go first or should I go first on this one? Uh, you should go first. Okay. I'm going to set the timer for 60 seconds and go. Okay. Ben Mendelsohn as director Krennic. Two out of five. Solves plot holes. Two out of five. Darth Vader. Two out of five. K2SO. Two out of five. Tarkin CGI. Two out of five. The writing and dialogue. The what, sorry? The writing dialogue. Oh, uh, three out of five? Jeddah, the planet. Three out of five. Leia CGI. 
Two out of five. Archival footage. Three out of five. Darth Vader pun. Two out of five. <laughs> Fan service. Two out of five. Borg gullet. Three out of five. Hammerhead Corvettes. One out of five. <laughs> Cheer it in way. Four out of five. Non-John Williams score. Three out of five. A New Hope being more justified. Three out of five. Benthic Two Tubes. Uh, two out of five. Trusting in the Force. <laughs> Three out of five. Everybody is dead. <laughs> two out of five. Force Whitaker to Saw Gerrera. Oh, time. Two out of five. <laughs> oh, we barely got it. Okay. Wow. That might actually average my actual rating this time. <laughs> I think everything you said was two out of five, except Hammerhead Corvettes was one. <laughs> I think I gave a couple three out of fives, right. but... <laughs> I'll, I'll take it. That, that was okay. a fun one. Thanks for putting that, that, was really that good. once again. Yeah. yeah. <sighs> All right, everyone. This has been another episode of Cookie Pocket, an attempt at a podcast. Uh, yeah. Thank you, Mitchell and Zach, for, for putting up with my Star Wars fandom, and we will uh, reach our, our final uh star wars stop in our in our series of star wars destinations with our next episode where we will be discussing uh star wars a new hope or just star mm-hmm. wars depending on who you ask <laughs> 1977 um, yeah indeed uh we'll see you next time uh thanks for listening uh thanks everyone Bye-bye. bye bye hope y'all won with the false